You're listening to Dynasty by Decade, presented by DraftKings and the Hockey Podcast Network. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN at sign up for exclusive offers. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into this very, very special presentation, a uh, a joint effort of the Hockey Podcast Network, Snow the Goalie, the Only Flyers Podcast, the People's Podcast, the Players Podcast, Prognosticators Podcast, Pedalite Podcast, Pronger Cast, the Knubel Cast, the Prop Cast, the Bobby Clark Cast, the Hextall Cast, the many, many former Flyer Casts. I'm Russ Joy at Joy on Broad, joined as always by Anthony Sanfilippo. Find him on Twitter and Instagram at Philly. Of course, our show, Snow the Goalie, you can find us Anywhere you get your podcasts, including, you know, Amazon Music, you've got Apple Podcasts, got Google Play Music, Spotify, Stitcher, everywhere you get your podcasts. And of course, we're on Facebook.com slash Snow the Goalie, Instagram and Twitter at Snow the Goalie. We are here today in conjunction with the Hockey Podcast Network to bring you this special edition where we're going to talk on arguably the best decade in the entire history of the Philadelphia Flyers, former expansion side. And only a few years after their addition to the NHL, they hoist the Stanley Cup not just once, but twice. And we're here to break down the 1970s, a time where my co-host, Anthony Sanfilippo, was, you know, 45. Anthony, <laughs> how excited are you to, to strut down memory lane once again? Uh, well, Russ, you know, I always love talking about the Broad Street Bullies. Um, and I'll tell you what, um, they were... Uh, it's funny because they only won the two Stanley Cups, but because of their relevance to the changing of the sport of hockey, they are considered a dynasty, even with just two championships. Because when you think about it, they win in 74, they win in 75, they lose in the final in 76, they lose in the final in 80, they lose in the final in 85, they lose in the final in 87. And all through that time, they're still in the playoffs and making runs. They just don't reach the final all those other years, but they're there every year. Um, and they changed the sport. And, and it's funny because, you know, this um, uh, podcast feature that they're doing here uh, is, you know, they call it dynasty by decade. In a lot of ways, the broad street bullies cover parts of two decades, uh, the seventies and the eighties. And, you know, if the, if the sponsor here, DraftKings, if if they were around back then, Man, we would have made a lot of money on the on the Broad Street Bullies. There would have been prop bets out the wazoo on on penalty minutes, right? Like how how many penalty minutes will Dave Schultz have tonight, right? That would I would, be I would have loved to have seen what the uh, the preseason the preseason odds would have been, like over under three hundred penalty minutes. I mean, <laughs> would have absolutely annihilated it, but sure, yeah, I mean, no, he could have gotten there, you know, in in a in a week. Oh man, but yeah, no, it was. Uh, you know, it's, it's an era that, you know, here in Philadelphia, it's been talked about ad nauseum, right? I mean, if we're, if we're doing this show for Flyers fans in Philadelphia, they're gonna, they would be like, oh, no, here we go, Broad Street Bullies again. But the fact is, if you're a hockey fan from outside of Philadelphia, it's a great story. It's a really, really cool story about how they 
came to be who they were, how they changed the sport, and then what that meant to hockey moving forward. And, 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 and how they became a part of this city and, and part of the, the image of this city, you know, for decades to come. And, you know, a lot of the, the guys who are still around, you know, they're in their early to mid-70s at this point. A lot of them still live here, man. A lot of them had made Philadelphia their home just because of how uh, symbiotic the relationship was between themselves as athletes and the city of Philadelphia and its fan base. Well, and it's interesting too, because the, the whole concept of the broad street bullies, I mean, you know, it, it's not only down there at Xfinity live, right on the, the name of the pub. It's something that, you know, younger fans, I think a lot of times uh, kind of look at the broad street bullies and they look at the name and they, they think about the grainy film coming out of the seventies. They hear about the spectrum. And if, if you're somebody who's my age, who's 30, you could have theoretically gone and seen games at the spectrum as a kid. But realistically, that's not where you grew up watching sports. It's always been the Wells Fargo Center or the FU Center, whatever you wanted to call it, you know, through the many iterations. And oftentimes the notion of the Broad Street Bullies is something that's used as a negative connotation. It's it's been at least for the last seven, eight years. Anytime you think about, you know, trying to follow the trends of where hockey is heading in the modern game. And it, it's been this way for over a decade now. But the the thought has been. Well, how do you get this team out of the the thought of the Broad Street Bullies? And how do you stop the old boys club? How do you stop the organization from continuing to trot out these guys when it's clear that the game is changing? But to your point, they were a team that transcended the sport. They're a team that, quite frankly, is responsible for the uh, exponential growth of the NHL rulebook. This is a team that upended the sport it's a team that embraced a bunch of Canadian players uh, and ultimately, you know, got behind them at a time where the city of Philadelphia did not have a ton of success across their sports. And we all know, you know, if you're listening to this show and you're from Philadelphia, you get it. And if not, you still probably get it. This was not a time where Philadelphia sports were uh, finding a ton of success. And so, when you have nothing else successful going on, you're going to tend to glom on to whatever team does find success. And whether it's, you know, not even having a winning record, but just by virtue of winning the division in their first season uh, in the expansion side was the West division at the time. You're still going to glom onto that. It doesn't matter what the record is. You just look for any kind of success. So, Anthony, let's kind of go through it. Uh, I don't think we have to go all the way back to 67. I think maybe it does make sense to just start here in the 70s, start in the decade and kind of track like where this team had been. So in 67, 68, when they came into the league, like I said, they won the West Division. They made it to the postseason. They did that two years in a row. And then the 69, 70 season was the first time they missed the postseason. But the 1970, 71 team finished third in the West and did qualify for the postseason for the first time in the 70s. So do you want to walk people through that team that, of course, uh, 28 wins, 33 losses, 17 yeah. ties? Yeah, so what, what, what the NHL did, and if they tried something like this today, they would get roasted for it. Obviously, you're not going to expand by, you know, six teams at once uh, in this day and age. But when they expanded, you know, there was only six teams in the NHL, and they expanded by six teams, and they put all six expansion teams in the same division. And so, you know, but you still played everybody, 
So what was ended up happening was these expansion teams would play each other in their playoffs and one expansion team would end up playing one of the original six teams in the Stanley cup final and get their rear ends kicked in. Right. And that's basically what was happening. Um, and the flyers, you know, they got to the playoffs, like you had mentioned twice in the sixties. Um, but the St. Louis blues were a much bigger and more physical team and, and basically beat the hell out of the flyers. And in 70, 71, the flyers got swept by the Blackhawks. Um, but it really started, you know, the, the, the that season, the 68-69 playoffs against the Blues, um, when they were just viciously attacked by the Blues in the playoffs. Like, the, the, the Blues played a pretty physical brand of hockey, and the Flyers had nobody to respond. And it was at that point that the owner of the Flyers at the time, Ed Snyder, uh, founder and then eventual chairman, um, you know, he was the chairman until he died uh, five years ago in 2016. Um he said, this will never happen again. Like I, I won't have another team come in and, and, and beat up my squad. And so they made up, they made a commitment. It was him. And, um, uh, uh as the owner, um, and you know, Fred Shiro was the, was the coach, uh, that they brought in eventually to, to coach the teams that won the Stanley cup. Uh, and they, and they basically said, we're going to put together a team that has skill, but also has, some tenacity, some, some, uh, you know, uh, physical, uh, physical nature, um, that they're going to just go out there and they're going to beat up everybody else. And that's kind of how they started. They started to build that team. Um, you, they drafted Bobby Clark, um, who was, you know, a, a, a third a, round pick who, who yeah. teams passed over at least twice. And at least one team passed over three times. Yeah. It was, it was actually Snyder reaching out to, a doctor in Philadelphia, a diabetic specialist to yeah. say, could this guy, could this kid play? If we were to draft him at some point, could he overcome diabetes? Could he manage it? And that doctor said, yeah, I mean, as long as he lives a healthy lifestyle for what a diabetic is, yes, he could, he could theoretically play at the NHL level. And that decision in and of itself and that risk taking that became you know, really the the modus operandi for Ed Snyder throughout his time as a sports owner, but specifically with the Flyers, that really set the tone for what was to come. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was the, it was the big gamble and it, it worked like a charm because, as we all know, Bobby Clark um, considered the all time greatest flyer. Um, he's in the Hall of Fame, three time Hart Trophy winner is MVP of the league. Um, and of course, was the captain of the teams that won the Stanley Cup. Um, it really one of the best centers of all time. And, you know, so that worked out perfectly. And the other move that worked out pretty well was they originally in the expansion draft in 1967, um, they originally took Bernie Perrant from the Boston Bruins, who was as a goalie. And Bernie was their, was their goalie the first few years. Um, and then they traded him away. They traded him to Toronto, if I recall correctly. And then they brought him back. And when they brought him back, that was like the, that was the final piece that was needed because you had Clark and then, you, you know, you had uh, Bill Barber, who was another uh, good offensive player, Rick McLeish. Um, even Ross Lonsbury was a 32 goal scorer the year they won the cup. Um, but they, and then they had all the bruisers, right? They had your Dave Schultz and Bob, the hound Kelly and Don big bird Seleski. And, um, uh, you know, they just needed the final piece, and the final piece was bringing Bernie back. 
and they but, brought Murray back, and that that ultimately became the difference between being a team that was just a goon squad with some skill players and a team that could you know do what the Flyers end up doing, becoming the first expansion team uh, to win the Stanley Cup. And it's an interesting thing too, because you think about like how often in in Philly sports, it's not just Philly, but it, it seems to happen all the time in Philly sports. You have a guy come in. Um, you lose patience with him, you send him away, and then he becomes, you know, like a Vezina candidate. We actually saw it in, in recent times with Sergei Bobrovsky. The, the organization, you know, kind of grew a little bit tired. Ilya Brizgalov got brought in, didn't want to serve as the mentor to Bobrovsky. He gets sent off, he goes off and wins a Vezina. So there is a history here of sending away players that had either underwhelmed, underachieved, or just didn't seem to get the job done. They send them away. And luckily for the Flyers, they got back a polished gem. If they sent out, you know, a piece of coal, it got pressurized and got brought back as a diamond. And it was a diamond in the rough. It wasn't exactly what they, I think, had anticipated. But my God, when you think of, you know, fundamental pieces to this organization and throughout the legacy of the organization, one, we talked about the risk with Bobby Clark. Two, we talked about the second acquisition of Bernie Perrant. That is the thing that gets you over the hump. And he was a guy who was not only instrumental, he was vital. He was the, the, the backstop that, that any team could ever wanted, would have ever wanted. And so you think about the way to demoralize a team. Well, you know that on the physicality side, you're going to beat the brains out of any opponent that you have. There's no fear on your part to go out and play your game because you have guys on your squad you know, including the Hound, who could theoretically go out there and uh, and not only protect you, but deter the opponent from making a run at your best players. When you have that, and then you know that on the back end, you have the best goalie in the league who is just unbeatable night in and night out, that's a recipe for success. From 1965 to 1973, with the Bruins, the Flyers, Toronto Maple Leafs, and then the Philadelphia Blazers of the Western Hockey League, where he played for one season before coming back to the Flyers. Bernie had a 2.85 goals against average and a 916 save percentage, which for that time was good, but it wasn't, you know, jump off the page, you know, top of the top of the league type of goaltending. As a matter of fact, uh, his rookie season, 65-66 with Boston, he finishes fourth in the Calder voting. And then he has no other, like, awards of any kind. Not, he doesn't get voted for anything the rest of his, you know, the next seven seasons of his career. He comes back to the Flyers, 73-74. And, you know, the Flyers won their first playoff series the year before, 72-73. They beat the Minnesota North Stars, uh, who were another expansion team. Uh, but it was their first playoff win, and then they got beat by the Canadians in the second round. And then Bernie comes in 73-74. And I told you what, his, what those average numbers were. All of a sudden, he comes here, 1.89 goals against average, 932 save percentage. But you want to know what makes those numbers even more incredible, Russ? He played 73 games and put up those numbers. 73 games. Won 47. It was 47, 13, and 12. Okay. Had 12 shutouts in a season. These are numbers. The 47 win stood for three decades. Yeah. 
it was that unprecedented and it was yeah. that difficult to take down. Yeah. That's a that's not only a longevity thing. That's that's attention to detail. That's maintaining your physical conditioning. I mean, he was always an odd bird. Like that's one thing when you go back and you listen to interviews with these guys from these teams. He was an interesting eclectic soul. Uh but he was a guy that somehow some way was always able to stay in the lineup. And I know some people don't like the phrase that availability is the best ability for, for Bernie Perrant and for this flyers team, it probably was the best asset that he brought to the table. In addition to all the other ones. Yeah. And it was, it's funny. It's, there was once an interview um, with, uh, I believe it was with Bill Barber. And uh, he was saying that, Hey, you know, they were in the middle of a, a tough, you know, zero, zero playoff game. And there was a timeout on the ice and Bernie waves him over and uh, Barber says, what's up, Bernie? And he says, you know, tonight after the game, I think I'm going to have two slices of the pizza. This is what Bernie was thinking about on the ice <laughs> during a playoff game that he was worried about <laughs> how many slices of pizza he was going to eat in the locker room in the post game? So he's talking about. Like, I'm sitting here thinking about having, I think, seven seven <laughs> bites of buff chick dip left that I didn't get to eat before we started recording, and I'm doing the podcast with you. So I guess I'm as elite as Bernie. Is that what you're saying? That's there you go. Be That's honest. What I'm Be honest. You're thinking about food too. I'm always thinking about food. Have you seen me? Come on. Um, but uh, but no. But that, but that's just the kind of when you talk about him being an odd bird in in, in a way. But that's what made him so great. You know, he won the Vezina both years. The Flyers won the cup. And then they they very likely would have won a third cup if Bernie didn't get hurt in 75, 76. Bernie only played 11 games and, and then didn't play the whole year. And they still made it to the final with Wayne Stevenson um, as their goaltender. Um, uh, and, you know, they lost in the finals to the Canadians who were starting a dynasty of their own uh, in 75, 76. But, but yeah, Bernie and Bobby Clark – were the catalysts. I mean, they were the two guys that made the engine run uh, for the Philadelphia Flyers. That said, Russ, we really got to kind of talk about the other players on those teams that, you know, were the, were the glue and were the, were the difference makers when, when push came to shove. Because 73-74, so Clark wins MVP. He wins the heart in 72-73. And he also wins it in 74, 75, and 75, 76. So he wins it three out of four years. The one year he didn't win was 73, 74, which is the first year the Flyers win the Cup. And it's not that Clark had a bad year. He had 87 points in 77 games, scored 35 goals, which led the team, had 52 assists, which led the team. But he was he was 100 point, over 100 points a season player in those other three seasons. So having just 87 was a little bit of a down year for him. Um but again, the Flyers had such great balance in their line. They had 12 players with double-digit goals in 73-74. Think about that. 12 players had, had double-digit goals. Uh, four 30-goal scorers. Dave Schultz, who had 348 penalty minutes in 73-74, had 20 goals. Right? I mean, so that's, that's just fascinating in and of itself. I mean, that Dave Schultz was, I mean, if you talk to, you're talking to hockey fans today, right? And unless you're, in, unless you're in Washington where you love him, Tom Wilson's probably the most hated player in the NHL, right? Fair to say? Without a doubt. Okay. Dave Schultz. So in fairness, every team would love to have him. Right. Dave he's Schultz the, was the ultimate. 
you love to have on your team because you know he'll stand up for his teammates. But in the meantime, you hate him and you think he's a disgrace to the game. Right. But he also but he can score, too. He's got a, he's got a scorer's touch. Dave Schultz was the Tom Wilson of the set early 70s. I mean, even more so. I mean, because he fought anybody and everybody. He didn't care. The hammer was coming. Right. He was and he was a show in and of himself. But it was because of that, that teams didn't want to play the Flyers because they didn't want to risk getting their heads bashed in by Dave Schultz or Moose DuPont, who himself had 216 penalty minutes, probably would have uh, led a lot of teams in, in, in that in that era. Um, and they had other guys with over 100 minutes and penalties that year. Uh, Don Seleski, who I mentioned earlier, and Bob Kelly, uh, Gary Dornhofer who was a 50-point player, had 125 penalty minutes. So, like, they, they were um, just – they were just a cast of characters. They were all Canadian, right? They didn't have anybody from – there were no American players, and they didn't have any um, European players at the time. So it was all Canadian guys who just kind of came together, and they, and they built this reputation where the, the entire league hated them because they were playing a game – that had not been played before. And you know how Philadelphia is. I'll give Gritty as the example. Okay, Gritty is the modern-day example of Broad Street Bullies. And what I mean by that is the day he's announced as a Flyers mascot, we here in Philadelphia thought it was the dumbest thing ever. That night, he starts getting ripped on late-night TV. It becomes like a national thing to make fun of Philadelphia. And the very next day, it was like, you can't make fun of him. He's ours. And he became beloved because of that. That's what the fly, that's what the Broad Street bullies were. Like, it was like, you know, you, at first you're like, are we going to be embarrassed by this? This is going to be embarrassing that we, we have a bunch of guys out there gooning it up all the time. Oh, wait, everybody hates us. This is awesome. Well, Anthony, you know, I, you might have this experience. I know a lot of people have had this experience before. They might have had a bookie at some point. They might have owed money to someone, ran themselves into a hole. They were afraid of the stigma and the embarrassment that it that it has to have, you know, tiny on the corner. But you don't have to worry about that with DraftKings Sportsbook. And we thank them, of course, for sponsoring this wonderful episode of Dynasty by Decade, again, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. That Thanks. was good. That, like that. That, was, that was a nice like little uh, transition there, Russ. Like, yeah, that's what, you did a good job. You did a good job. Well, we got to talk about the playoffs though well, in 73, 74. All right, well, let, let's go there. Because we haven't we didn't we didn't even dive into that. I mean, that was the first the first cup run. We um, didn't even say spoiler alert on the winning the Stanley Cup. So, <laughs> in case you didn't know. Um, but no, I mean, they opened up with a with an, a relatively easy sweep over the Atlanta Flames. Um, although that was a series that had a lot of a lot of fights, a lot of physicality in it. Um, then they had a brutal series with the New York Rangers where it was uh, pretty much, you know, uh, you, the teams only won on home ice. Flyers won the first two here. Then the Rangers won two with Madison Square Garden. Flyers win back home. Rangers win back home. And then game seven, uh, the Flyers were able to beat the Rangers four to three um, at the Spectrum. Uh, to for, to to make it to the Stanley Cup final for the first time, it was the first time that they had beaten an original six team uh, in the playoffs, and then they go to the Stanley Cup final and they're facing the big bad brought Boston Bruins, and the 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 game the goal that really changes everything is Game Two in Boston because they had never won a game on the road against an original six team in the playoffs. And 
they go to overtime and Bobby Clark scores the game winning goal. Uh, just everybody it's kind of an iconic thing because he jumps up and he starts dancing on the toes of his of his skates um and that evened the series and then they knew they weren't going to lose at home the flyers just didn't lose at the spectrum at that at that time um there was a there was a thing called the philly flu and it would happen as you would come over come from the airport and um, you would come over uh, the Gerard Points Bridge from the airport into South Philadelphia, and you would see the spectrum. And guys would sit there and be like, oh, no, here we go. And then they wouldn't want to play. And so they would have they would get sick, and they called it the Philly flu because they knew what it was like playing at the spectrum with the rowdy fans, with the Broad Street bullies, and nobody wanted to play there. And the Flyers felt all we had to do was win one in Boston, and we're going to win this series. Well, they win games three and four, lose game five back up at Boston, but it didn't matter. They came back to Philly for game six, and they said, this is it, because we can't go to Boston for game seven. They went back to Boston for game seven. They were probably going to lose. Um, and Bernie gave the, the, the performance of the year, uh, and they, they win game seven, one to nothing. Uh, Rick McLeish, the only goal. And, uh, and If and I remember just, correctly, wasn't that the game where Phil Esposito said, uh, after McLeish scored, there was a lady who was yelling and he said something to the effect of like, that's all they're going to get because he was confident that they were going to be able. I mean, they had just hung five goals on the flyers in Boston the game before. Right. And Bernie was superhuman. Yeah. I mean, and, and like, I would think that as a player, that's probably the thing that frustrates you the most is knowing that you do have the ability to go out and, and you just came off a game where you had the most goals that you ultimately ended up scoring at any point during that series. And it felt like you finally had maybe solved the puzzle. And then you go back to that raucous crowd, that insane spectrum crowd and you get shut out. Like not only do you lose, not only do you, you know, get prevented from going home for game seven, but you get shut out after you just hung five on the flyers. That's a, that's going to do a lot. That's going to play a lot of, uh, of mind games with you. And it's going to well, stick in your crawl. And, and it clearly does even, you know, decades later. Yeah. And if you if you look at the highlights of that game, um, if you look at like Bernie, it wasn't just that he was great. Right. It wasn't just that that, you know, um, you know, he, he, he shot out the, the Bruins to win the Stanley Cup. It was more than that. Like his saves were incredible. There were some saves in that game that you were just like, "What is happening?" And um, they get, he made thirty saves in in game seven or game six, which you got to remember at that time that was a lot. I, mean, I know teams pretty much average. Some teams average thirty shots a game now. The back then that was a lot. Okay, thirty shots on goal was was a big number. Um, the average was somewhere in the mid, you know, in the lower to mid twenties is is what teams would get. But Bernie made thirty saves in that game and you know Boston just they were not going to beat him they were just not he was not going to let them score a goal and it was probably the you know easily a Mount Rushmore of calls uh broadcast calls by the late great Gene Hart um calling down the you know the final seconds of the Flyers winning the Stanley Cup and, and beating the Boston Bruins and becoming the first expansion franchise uh, in the NHL to win the Stanley Cup 
was is just a, an iconic moment in, in Philadelphia sports uh, and really in the history of the NHL um, that it would happen as quickly as it did. Because one other thing that, you know, not only was it lopsided that um, the Boston Bruins, I mean, that the Philadelphia Flyers were in a division with just the other expansion teams and that you had to have an expansion team beat an original six team in the Stanley Cup final without having to play any of the other ones. Um, and so it was a real disadvantage in that regard. But back in that era, uh, when the draft was going on, the NHL had a rule in place that allowed the Montreal Canadiens to get the first pick of a French-Canadian-born player, a Quebec-born player. So even if you wanted a player like, let's just say, just throw one out there, like Guy Lafleur, if you wanted a player of that ilk, you couldn't get him until Montreal selected the first French-Canadian player. So there was a disadvantage to being a non-Montreal team, but there was a real disadvantage to being an expansion team at that point. Because not only that, you're now you're playing against other expansion teams, so your record's going to be hovering around 500. So you're going to be, you know, not bad enough to get the, the the top pick, but also not you know good enough to really go anywhere. And then you're not going to be able to draft the best French Canadian player that unless Montreal has already done it. You know, it's so it was so crazy that a team could do what the Flyers did as quickly as they did to do it in seven seasons. Now it's a little bit different. They give ex, uh, expansion teams a, a whole different um, uh, opportunity, a whole better chance. I mean, we saw what the Vegas Golden Knights did. They went to the Stanley Cup final in their first year of existence. Uh, I'm pretty sure the Seattle Kraken will have a pretty solid team um, once they go through their expansion draft. So it's a whole different world now than it was then. But, man, there was a lot of, a lot of hurdles for the Flyers to get past and they found their way past them to win that first Stanley Cup. So let's move on. Are you ready to move on, pal? You've just, to- you've just loaded up. You've just loaded up on, uh, you know, some wonderful fluids. And now I'd uh, encourage people, if they haven't done so already, to make sure they go load up their accounts over at DraftKings Sportsbook. We thank them, of course, for sponsoring this wonderful episode of Dynasty by Decade here with the Snow the Goalie podcast and the Hockey Podcast Network. Uh, Anthony, if Bernie Perron had a great season in 73-74, stands to reason that we could say he had another great season the following season. Uh, Let's get into the 74-75 season and what made it different than the 73-74 season where they hoisted the first Stanley Cup in franchise history. Well, there was a lot of people who believed it was, it wasn't going to, you know, it was luck that the Flyers got lucky and beat Boston. And there's no way that this expansion team could do it again. Um, the one big difference um, that that was not there in 73-74 was the addition of Reggie Leach, who the Flyers got from the California Golden Seals. Um, and Reggie Leach joined Clark and Barber on the top line as the right wing uh, for what is considered one of the probably the best line in the history of the Flyers, uh, although I'm sure some will argue the Legion of Doom in the 90s. But uh, longer-term success was the LCB line, uh, which was Leach, Clark, and Barber. Um, and 
Reggie Leach scored 45 goals in the 74-75 season, playing alongside Bobby Clark, who had 89 assists, 116 points, and won the Hart Trophy. Um, that was the big change was adding was adding him to the uh, to the team. And and you know, Dave, we talked about Schultz the year before, right? With 300 and what was it, 380 penalty minutes? 74-75, the legend of Dave Schultz grew to the point where he had 472 penalty minutes in 76 games. Now, I want you to think about that for a second, right? 472 penalty minutes in 76 games, which is an average of six minutes, 6.2 minutes per game, which means he pretty much got into a fight every game. <laughs> Every game, um, but that was it, man. Like nobody wanted, to, nobody wanted to touch the Flyers. They they were like, no, uh, uh-uh. I, I don't want to, I don't want to go anywhere near that team. And when when you really when you look at the breakdown uh, of of what it was like to play the Flyers at the Spectrum, I mean, that was I think their best year. Um, I'd have to look it up uh, to see if I can if I could find their. Uh, their actual home and away uh, records that year. Uh, I'll find it here when you say something, when you start talking. But the point is, is that I have it. You have it. Yeah, of course I have it. I'm the numbers guy. There you go. I'm actually kind of offended. You didn't think I would have it. So in 74, 75, they went 32, six and two. (laughs) Think about that. 32 again, 32, six and two. The crazy thing is that the next season, 75, 76, they were even better. They were yeah. 36, two and two yeah. at home. Uh, by the way, the 32, six and two at home, compare that on the road. They went 19, 12 and nine. But not that, bad. That, I mean, not, not bad by any stretch. Russ, they lost eight games in two years on home ice. Yeah. I, th- I think this year's team lost eight games in March <laughs> at, on home ice. <laughs> Are you trying to say that the Wells Fargo Center <laughs> and the Spectrum don't hold the same home ice advantage. Is that well, I, I grew, now, you mentioned earlier as, as being a 30-year-old that you didn't grow up in the spectrum. At 47, I did grow up in the spectrum. I went to a lot of games in the spectrum, and there is no comparison. And, and I, I say that politely because the Wells Fargo Center is not a bad place to watch hockey. When the team is good, it's actually a pretty good spot to watch a game. Um, so I'm not trying to knock the Wells Fargo Center. I actually think that it's it's a pretty good spot. It's just not the spectrum. Um, you know, when I you know you look at the three stadiums that changed in in Philadelphia, it probably fits. The, this one comes in the middle, right? I think that the Phillies significantly upgraded from Veterans Stadium to Citizens Bank Park. I think the Eagles downgraded as far as a home a home field advantage from the Veterans Stadium to Lincoln Financial Field. There's no question Lincoln Financial Field is a better amenities and a better looking stadium, but as far as for the environment, not quite the same as what it was with the 700 level crazies for Eagles games at Veterans Stadium. The Wells Fargo Center kind of falls in the middle because the spectrum was just such a dominant place for the Flyers. Um, Sixers, it was, it was, you know, Sixers games were, you know, for basketball were pretty great there too. Um, but the Sixers have also had some great runs in Wells Fargo Center when they've had good teams. So I kind of put it, I think it's kind of fits right in the middle. Um, but yeah, the spectrum was, it was just another, another world for, for other teams coming in. It's just, you were just so afraid to, to play against the Flyers there. It was just a cool environment. And the way that the building was built, 
it was all, it only held 17,007 I think was their was their capacity and the way that the upper levels were built at the spectrum they kind of hung out a little bit over the ice so it was the seats went straight up not up and back like we have at Wells Fargo right so you you know it, 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 you're a little bit further the upper level you're a little bit further back away from the ice this was like you were right on top of it and so I think that that plus the fact that the roof was so flat and low, it really just made the sound in that place just remarkable. And, you know, you always heard about people saying that it was America, you know, it was nickname was America Showplace because the concerts, people love performing at the Spectrum because of the acoustics there. So just imagine if you're, a, if you're a rock act and you love performing in that building because you like the acoustics, well, what are the acoustics like for 17,000 fans screaming, right? Pretty cool. So it was a great place to watch hockey. Um, and and definitely in that era, there was nobody who wanted to play here unless they were wearing orange and black. And the 74-75 season, to get back to it, one of the, I guess, the biggest standout things was if you look back at, at Flyers records, if you look at year-over-year records, this was the, the season where you were in year five out of six consecutive seasons that Bobby Clark led the team in points. This was his second season in three seasons where he'd gone over the hundred point threshold. He had 116 points on the season, including a team high 89 assists. Uh, by the way, those 89 assists stood as the most in franchise history until I think they still are. They are. Yeah. Um, which, <laughs> and the crazy thing is not only did he do it in 74, 75, he tied that mark in 75, 76 and added three more goals. Yeah. Uh, the other standout player that season, at least on traditional counting stats, Reggie Leach, 45 goals, which he then in 75, 76 up to 61. Yeah. The crazy thing, I think, when you look back at this time for the Flyers is just how much better some of these guys got. And yet they didn't get to the pinnacle that following season. Well, so, Bernie was the difference. They didn't yeah. have Bernie. And that's the thing that like, when you think back on this time, you know, we talked at the very beginning of this about just how important of a, of an addition he was to the team and how he fundamentally changed things. We said the two guys who were like the two biggest acquisitions for this team in some way, shape or form were Bobby Clark and Bernie Perron. And this is kind of like why, you know, I, I don't even think it's really that debatable. Even in the modern game, you can have a, uh, you know, a skater who's an exceptional player, who's an incredible talent. But if the net mining isn't up to snuff or if that net mining is not elite, it's not a guarantee that they're going to win a cup. Conversely, if you have a guy who is a rock solid lights out top goalie in the league, you can typically cover up a lot of issues on your team with that guy. So let's get to the postseason, I guess, then, right? Yeah. Um, so 75, 74, 75. Uh, playoffs start um, again uh, with a sweep uh, this one over the Toronto Maple Leafs um, in the first round uh, then was an in really perhaps one of the most interesting uh, playoff series uh, in Flyers history and really probably the toughest series that this this group ever played uh, was the New York Islanders the Flyers got out to a 3-0 series lead and you thought oh man they're going to blow out, blow out the Islanders as well I mean, the Islanders came back and won three straight, forced a game seven. Um, but then Bernie was Bernie. 
and the Flyers win uh, Game Seven, four to one, uh, over the Islanders to advance to the Stanley Cup Final uh, for the second year in a row. And this was the first year where they decided to, um, as as you notice, they played Toronto in the first round. Uh, so the playoff format was a little bit different. So you could play, you, you weren't necessarily just playing uh, the other expansion teams and then you had to play original six in the final. They kind of changed the divisions up finally. And the Flyers drew the Buffalo Sabres uh, in the Stanley Cup final uh, with their famed French connection line. Flyers won the first two games pretty handily at home at the Spectrum and then had to go to Buffalo in late May. And the, the Sabres stadium, the old odd, um, it didn't have air conditioning, <laughs> which and- is wild, right? Like you, <laughs> you think about now, like uh, a lot of these arenas, especially the ones that that are also used for basketball, the constant complaint is, you know, if you're if you're an NBA player, is man, it's it's really cold here. Can we get the temp up just a little bit? And when that happens, you sometimes get the condensation issues through the court. Like we saw this happen a few years ago where a uh, Sixers game had to get called off because of the condensation issues. That was a, um, an arena temperature issue. If I remember correctly, like they hadn't, they hadn't had the AC on and it was like, well, that seems ridiculous. Like, why would you not have AC on there? There's ice under the court. What are you doing? But just imagine, like, let that sink in for a second that it wasn't just like a shambles team, like the modern day Buffalo Sabres. It was a team that was in the Stanley Cup final. Yeah. They didn't have air conditioning, but they had no ice. So. No air conditioning. so there was game three. There was fog on the ice and you couldn't see the puck. Like you could, you just couldn't see it. I mean, if it was, if you were carrying it, I guess you could see it, but there were passes that couldn't be made. Shots of goalies were just guessing where they were. Um, and if you look at the overtime game winning goal by the Sabres in game three, Bernie Perron has no idea where the puck is. He's just trying to stop it with his skates. Like he's standing up. He didn't even go down to try and make the save. Like he has no idea. He's just trying to kick at it. Like, is it, is it there? And it goes past him. So it, by the, the way, that- if, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen highlights of this, yeah, like stop what you're doing. Pause the show for a second. Go find go, sub- it on go subscribe yeah. to snow the goalie, wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. And then, and then go over and find highlights from this because it looks, I mean, it looks like what fog bowl, like yeah. fog bowl on the NA, on the NFL field looked like. It almost looks like um like a pro wrestling intro, like the Undertaker <laughs> coming out, right? Like you can only see the top torso, but everything below it you can't. Like you're just kind of expecting to hear the gong or, or the bell or whatever, right? Uh there should be fire shooting up out of the sides, you know, purple lights coming down. None of that. It's just it's surreal to watch. And like imagine being a fan there, right? Like imagine being a fan. You pay your money, whatever it was at the time, to go see the Stanley Cup final, and you can't make out where the puck is. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, you think about it now, the the league would have nixed this. I mean, like, not only the air conditioning thing, but, like, think about what the NHLPA would say. Oh, my God, yeah. You're putting players like, in there's no way. stuff like Player that, right? safety, any sports, you know, any sports league would put a halt to it because of player safety. And these guys went out and played and couldn't see the puck. Think about what happened this year, by the way. Uh, with the Lake Tahoe game with the Flyers yeah. and, and the Bruins. And they were talking about, you know, the the shade and about the, the, sun, the sun glare. Yeah, the glare. And the sun glare. And it affected the, the game the day before where they had to postpone it until, you know, late at night. 
those decisions were made mostly in part to, or, you know, in part or mostly due to player safety and not being able to see the puck here. You have a game where it's a Stanley cup final and you can't see the puck. And they but just kept the playing 70s. anyway. It's the seventies. It's fine. Just rub a little bit of, uh, of dirt on the puck and you'll be fine. <laughs> so anyways, the Buffalo wins, wins the two games in Buffalo to even the series comes back to Philly for game five flyers crushed Buffalo five one, but then they got to go back up to the odd one more time. And the thought process is, man, they're going to lose again up here and force a game seven back at, at the spectrum. But no, once again, Bernie is Bernie shuts down the Sabres uh, for the second consecutive year is, has a Stanley cup clinching game with a shutout and the flyers win uh, the Stanley cup for the second year in a row. And, you know, put all the naysayers, you know, uh, under a rock because they, their brand of hockey, their physical in your face brand of hockey was now the way to play. It was, this was the way you were going to win and you weren't going to beat this team unless you played their game and unless you were able to beat them at their game. And, uh, and yeah, so, I mean, it was, you know, and the thing of it is, and what we didn't even mention uh, from the year before, Russ, the parade. I was gonna. I, I didn't know where to stop you. Like, how how exactly do I stop your your thoughts to slap down on the table two million people showing up to a parade? Keep that in mind. This is an, an, an ice hockey team two that had only existed in the city for seven years. Yep. Right. It did not have this long-standing tradition in the city it's something that was relatively new and the way that they played captured the hearts and minds of the city so quickly that they had two million people show up for their parade in center city philadelphia i mean again and we said this at the outset but like philly sports at the time were bad really really bad and the city needed one beacon of hope and it came in the form of a bully squad donning the orange and black. Uh, Let's just think for a second, Anthony, if the, if the modern day flyers won a Stanley cup, how many people would show up to the parade? I'd say about the same. No. You don't think so? No. Oh, I do. I don't. I do. I think you'd get close to the same. I think it'd be nice. You think also about like the dissemination of information too, you know, now versus then. And it's, it's, you know, I think at that point, just based on your options of, of what you could watch and everything, like you probably had more people tuning into those games, uh, more people interested or, or keeping up with what was going on with the team than you would even see now. Um, but what a spectacle. And, and actually, they, there have been, you know, mentions made that historically that parade is what caused the, uh, the notion of people hanging off of streetlights, mm-hmm. seeing people, you know, kind of hanging out of windows to see a parade, to see one of these events. You, you see it now. This is that's nothing. Where that's like, where it started. This is nothing new. But the city of Philadelphia, when it came to the Flyers, watching that first Stanley Cup parade, that's where that stuff came from. So the next time that you're out in a college town and a team wins some respective championship and they knock over a streetlight and people are swinging off the streetlights. You can just think to yourself, thanks, 1973 Philadelphia Flyers (laughs) and the great city of Philadelphia. Thank you. Thank you for all of that. (laughs) 
This is true. This they is would true. never do such a thing, you know, in like Boston. Boston is obviously like a bastion for, you know, civility and <laughs> yeah. respectability. Yeah. No, it was, uh, it's a, that was a big deal. That was a big deal. And the thing of it is, is that the league hated the Flyers. They didn't like what they, they didn't, they didn't think, and this is, again, this was, you want to talk about sticks in the mud, man. Like this was an era where the good old boy network didn't care that this was popular, didn't care that this was doing well on television. They, it, it, that it was must-see TV, didn't care that it was helping the league. They felt like the Flyers were ruining the sport, and they were miserable about it. There's a video. Uh, I think they, you could see it in the um, HBO documentary about the Broad Street Bullies where uh, Clarence Campbell is gotta, has to present the Flyers with the Stanley Cup in Buffalo, and the look on his face is like he just you know, swallowed – uh, raw meat, man. Like he was just, or you know, rancid meat. He was just miserable. The sourpuss. He was sick to his stomach. He was yeah. handing, he was handing to a team that he believed had bastardized the game, the ultimate proof of of their superiority in the sport. Yeah, and there was nothing he could do about it. Nothing. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um. And then you know, the, I mentioned at the beginning um, that this dynasty could have continued if Bernie doesn't get hurt. Uh, 76 uh, is another great year, um, probably highlighted by the game January 11th, 1976, against the Soviet Red Army team. Um, Soviet Red Army was doing a, uh, a tour of NHL cities and had gone undefeated, uh, be- beating NHL teams. Uh, and good NHL teams. And the last chance, um, and, and I think they beat the Rangers, when they beat the Rangers, I think they crushed them. And, and that was on national TV. And it's like, oh man, like this is an embarrassment that we're letting this Russian team come in here and beat all of our NHL teams. We're supposed to be the best hockey league in the world. And the last, the last gasp was January 11th, 1976 at the Spectrum. Soviet Red Army against the Philadelphia Flyers. And it was the one time that the entire league, the entire two countries, United States and Canada, were rooting for the Flyers because there were political overturns, a lot of political overturns of this, much in the same way that there were for the U.S. Olympic team four years later um, in 1980. Uh, Now, that was a, a different kind of event because... It was, again, it was the same Soviet Red Army team, but you're talking about a team that was winning games against professional hockey teams and going up against a, a bunch of amateur American kids, you know, who were not, the, the, you know, the U.S. wasn't as good at the sport as they are today, right? I mean, they were kind of, you know, middle of the road back then. Um, so, so that's what made that such a great story, but it was the, it was the same team. So the same team four years earlier were playing NHL teams and winning. Um, which is what makes that even a greater miracle. But they came here to Philadelphia. And and to set the stage, because you mentioned that they beat down the Rangers. They played four games on that tour. The first game was on uh, December 20th, 1975. They beat the Rangers 7-3. Yeah. They followed it up three days later. They tied the Canadians 3-3. That's right. Okay. And then a week later, 
they crushed the Bruins five to two. So that set up at that point, they had two wins, one tie. No one had really come close to beating them. I mean, I guess you could argue that Montreal, by virtue of a tie, were, but think were, about that. That, Cana- that Canadians team is set a record that that until last season, uh, two seasons ago. I'm sorry, that lasted until 2019, the best season in the history of the NHL. That 75-76 Canadians team, most wins. The Tampa Bay Lightning finally broke their point total uh, two years ago. Um, so that was one of the best teams in the history of hockey, and they couldn't beat the, the Soviet team. They only could tie them. So that's what they're, that's what they're saying. It's like this came down to this was a political thing. This was a you got to save the league because if, you, if the Soviets come in and beat everybody in the, in the NHL, wh- this isn't the best league in the world. And the Flyers basically just said, you know what? You're not going to do any of your fancy skating and passing here in the spectrum. We're coming. You're you're going to come in here, and we're just going to kick your ass. And that's they what built, they did. They build Iron Curtain. <laughs> it, you know, they built. It was an impenetrable system they ran, and it threw Moscow off their game. It, it was just something they could not get through. So to your point, all the fancy schmancy stuff they wanted to run, they were so disjointed because the Flyers effectively built a wall and said, try to break through. And it couldn't happen. And then, by the way, the Flyers would also back it up with hard hitting, with getting in your face, with throwing you off your game physically uh, after the whistle and such, in addition to throwing you off your game and what you were trying to run you know, schematically. It, it led to a very interesting moment in that first period. So Ed Van Imp was in the penalty box, comes out of the penalty box and absolutely crushes um, uh, Valery Karlamov, who was the best player uh, for the for the Soviets at the time. And uh, it's funny because when Van Imp was interviewed afterwards, he said, yeah, Karlamov skated into my elbow. Um, <laughs> and the Russians were furious. They were like, this is this isn't hockey. And their coach called them off the ice and they left in the middle of the first period. They walked off the ice. They were not going to finish the game. And imagine this. This is on national television. curiosity. Like, how do you spin that as propaganda? Like, if you're the Soviets, is it like our Soviet overlords, our, our, our Soviet heroes were so dominant in their performance that they uh, they showed mercy? Well, we showed Soviet I, mercy? Like in, what? In, the, in the paper the next day, there was a cartoon of the flyers uh carrying these giant clubs um you know like like they were neanderthals you know clubbing the 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 soviets um and that was in the russian papers the next day um anyway so they leave they leave the rink they leave the ice and if you haven't if you weren't alive for this or you don't know this story this is another one you should look up and look up the the flyers flyers soviets 1976 they leave the ice and all, there's there is a major meeting with the 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 heads of the NHL, uh, Ed Snyder as the owner of the Flyers, um, and the the Russian coach uh, underneath the underneath the bowels of the spectrum, and they had a translator there. And Ed Snyder basically said, "If you don't come back onto the ice, you will not be paid for the entire trip." And I guess that was enough of a coercion for them to come back. 
And they came back, and within a minute, the Flyers scored, and they were done. The Russians were done at that point. The Flyers ended up winning the game 4-1. to one. Uh, They saved the NHL, saved the, from the embarrassment of losing to the Russians all four games, or three of the four with a tie. Um, and, uh, and, and, yeah, and really just that was probably what cemented the, the Flyers dynasty because it just goes to show that they were able to beat the one team in the world that no one else could beat. And that's what made them the best hockey team of the era. Um, Bernie Perrant was injured for most, most of that season. Wayne Stevenson uh, ends up being the goalie. The Flyers do get back to the final, um, but get swept by the Montreal Canadiens uh, in the final, which is the start of the Canadiens dynasty uh, when they win four straight Stanley Cups. The crazy um, thing about that Stanley Cup final is that they lost each of the first three games by a single goal. Yeah. So, it, you know, you look at a sweep and I think like a lot of times in sports, you look at a sweep and you think that it, it was just one side was utterly dominant. No, it was close. It was a close but, four games. But like any of those games goes the other way and all of a sudden it's a different series. Yeah. Well, but, and it's one of the few times in the history of, of the sport. Uh, I think it's happened three times, twice with Flyers players where a guy from the losing team um, wins the Conn Smythe Trophy as the playoff MVP. Reggie Leach won the uh, Conn Smythe Trophy in 76. He had 19 goals in 16 playoff games, which I believe, Russ, is still a record. I don't think anybody's ever broken the 19 goal. I think somebody's tied it, if I remember correctly. I don't remember who it was. It was in, within the last five years or so, five or six years. Um, I forget who it was that tied it. But at 19, I believe, still stands as a record uh, for most goals in a playoff season in the NHL. Yeah, so it was uh, so Reggie Leach in 75-76, Yari Curry in 84-85, but he did it in two more games. He did it in 18 games as opposed to Leach's 16. Uh, Joe Sakic did it in 95-96. In 22 games, he put up only he put up 18 goals. And then there's just a long list of guys okay. who put up 17, including you know a little guy you might know, uh, Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, who did it? Uh, did okay. 17 and 18 games. But yeah, like it's crazy. Yeah, 16 games. By the way, if you're looking at like the all-time list of of most goals scored. Um, how many am I at here? I think it's the top 10, top 12 single uh, postseason performances. Nobody did it in fewer games than Reggie Leach. Yeah. Because well, it, was, it was a different like era. I even then. ended like 16, say. Well, because there was only three rounds back then. Right? I mean, now there's four. Now there's four rounds. So back in the 70s, you only played three rounds of playoffs. Um, Which so makes that, it arguably even more impressive. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely, because if you imagine if imagine if he had at least another four games, five games, six games, he probably he probably is at 22, 20, you know, maybe even at yeah, 22. Let's just say um, he's probably got 22 goals, which is still and would probably be still be a, a single season record. Let's play a fun trivia game. Yeah. You ready for this? Let me just count this off really quickly. We didn't have this one prepared ahead of time. Four, five, six, seven, eight. 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. All right, so top 20 seasons, okay, top 20 post-seasons in terms of goal-scoring output. You cannot look it up. I can see your glasses. I can see the reflection. Don't look it up. Two players that are still active in the NHL had a post-season in which they qualified for the top 20 um, 
most goals scored in a single postseason. They're still two active, active. Two active players? Two active players. That's it. Patrick Kane. Is that Who's correct? I'll, I'll tell you when you're done. Uh, I would I would go. Well, although T- you know Taves did have that great year with the against the Flyers, I'll go Kane and um, and Crosby. So Crosby is correct. Crosby is number twenty. He had fifteen goals in twenty four games. Patrick Kane was not. Patrick Kane isn't even top fifty. Okay. Who's the most prolific goal scorer of his generation? Uh, Ovi. Yeah. So Ovi did the same exact thing. So they both. So Crosby did it in 0809. Ovechkin did it in 1718. Okay. They both put up 15 goals in 24 games. And like you think about what, it, like, I like to look at this as think of what Alex Ovechkin is and think about like what he has been throughout his career. It took him 24 games to get to 15. Obviously, different eras, different games, a lot of different stuff. But like, nineteen goals in sixteen games for Reggie Lee. Yeah, but I, you know what though? I, if you're comparing, if you're comparing eras, as far as scoring, I think that today's era is akin to that earlier seventies era. Um, it didn't get to be the you know the Wild West until the eighties, right? I mean that that started that that's what it really kind of kicked in to, you know, the, the high scoring games and, you know, the Gretzky putting up 200 and some points and, and everything. I mean, that was the, that was the era of wide open hockey um, that ran until about 94. And then all of a sudden the devils introduced the left wing lock. And then it was the, the complete converse where nobody scored. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, but regardless, I mean, even with that said, your, your, your point is well proven, Russ, is that, you're talking about two of the game's best players ever that are that we're, that we're watching today in Crosby and Ovechkin, and they couldn't put up 19 goals in four rounds of the playoffs, and Reggie Leach did it in three rounds. So that just goes to show how great of a, of a playoff run that Leach had. And he had 61 goals in the regular season, so all told he had 80 goals for the year, which is fascinating, right? Indeed it is. Sorry about that. I had my mic muted. No, that's right. No problem. Listen, we got um, all the way, we got all the way through that without uh, having any kind of a, a tech kerfuffle. That's pretty good. You know where you don't have a lot of tech kerfuffles? That's over with our good friends at DraftKings. See that? That's good. good. Let's talk about what happened after the Flyers, of course, go on win consecutive Stanley Cups. They go back to the final. They get swept um, in the final in the seventy five seventy six season. They close out the. Um, the decade losing in the semifinals, they get swept the following year, 76, 77 by the Bruins. They get back to the semifinals in 77, 78. They're taken out in five games by the same Bruins squad the following season. They lose in the quarterfinals. So they act, they advanced out of the preliminary round, uh, lost the quarterfinals to the Rangers 79, 80, they get back to the Stanley Cup final. You and I sometimes disagree about like what's the actual start of the decade, what's the end of the decade. If it has a 70 in it, I'm still going to say it was the 70s, even though the you know the final wasn't played until 1980. Uh, I, I agree with you. Um, but they ended up you know making it back to the final one more time, which when you think about it, in the course of a decade, half of the Stanley Cup finals that were played, no, not half. Is that half? Four, no, four, out, four. Of, four, four out of ten. Four out of ten. 
40% is pretty much 50% if you round up. Four out of 10 finals played in that decade featured this expansion side. That's crazy. You know, and I, I think it's probably also worth noting here that when you think of expansion sides now, right? Like you think of a Vegas that all of a sudden were, they were able, you know, very quickly to make an impact in the league. That's not normal. You think about like what the Seattle Kraken are probably set up to be. There's a good chance that they're going to be successful just by virtue of the way that the league sets them up for success. What the Flyers did here as an expansion side within six years, making it to and winning a Stanley Cup final and then being featured in four of 10 in the decade. That's a heck of an accomplishment. It, yeah. it really is. Yeah, it is. It really is. And that 1980 team was really the last hurrah for a lot of these guys. Um, yeah, Clark stayed with the team for another five years before or four years before retiring. Um, but P Bernie was already gone by that point. Um, and uh, they were kind of transitioning into a, a, a new um, a new era of players. Um, Barber was still on the team, uh, but Clark wasn't even the captain anymore. I mean, Mel Bridgman was the captain at that point. Um, uh, Andre DuPont was still there. Reggie Leach was still there. Rick McLeish was still there. Um, and some other names that, you know, you might recognize like Paul Holmgren, um, Brian Propp, um, both of who have been guests on Snow the Goalie. Uh, That's right. You can find that in the archives, wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Amazon Music. You know, we're, we're everywhere. Yeah, they, they, were, they were on that team. And that, that was also the team that set the record that still stands, professional sports record uh, for, the, for the big four sports in, the, in North America. Uh, of 35 games in a row without a loss. Um, Flyers were, uh, they won their first game of the season, lost the second game of the season, and then proceeded to go 25-0-10 over the next 35 games. That's, uh, they were at, at one point in the season 26-1-10 when they, when they finally lost their second game, um, which is another thing. I mean, that, that streak is... You know, no one's even come close. I think 28 was the closest anybody came. I think it was in the NBA, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I think the Lakers won 28 straight games, um, and that was the that was the closest anyone got to the Flyers. Uh, but yeah, I mean that's that's something else um, when you when you really think about it. Um, and yeah, I mean again, that's a that's that's all tied to Bobby Clark. Um, it's why he's the greatest Flyer and one of the best centers in the history of the sport. Um, and, but you know what? They were still – I, I want to mention that year because 7980, Dave Schultz isn't there anymore. But you look, at, you look at it, Paul Holmgren, 267 penalty minutes. Ben Wilson, 212 penalty minutes. Those guys like to drop the gloves a little bit, right? Bob Kelly was still there, 122 penalty minutes. Um, uh, I mentioned uh, Moose DuPont. Uh, where is he at? I think I thought I saw his name. Here it is, 107, but he only played in 58 games that year. Uh, so he probably would have had uh, even more penalty minutes. Frank Bathe, 111 in 47 games. Um, they were still playing that same style and, again, got to the Stanley Cup final with it. Um, and they carried it through the 80s. And, they, and, and guess what? Made the playoffs in 81, made the playoffs 82, made the playoffs 83, made the playoffs 84, went to the final in 85, playoffs 86, final in 87, playoffs 88, conference final in 89. It wasn't until 10 years later that they finally missed the playoffs again for the third time in franchise history. 
and then and then after that it the, you had a new era it was the lindros the lindros era and it, it you know it was everything kind of changed um uh with the flyers they weren't quite i mean they, they were still bullish but not quite the same they they had uh, a whole different element to their game in the 90s um but nevertheless it, it carried through i mean that whole style that they that they brought and changed the sport and everybody else started doing it too i mean it's it's you can go through any team in the nhl that played in the in the you know 80s and the 90s and look and find guys who were classic fighters on any team i mean i bring up names like tiger williams and um and then and then you can look at guys like bob probert you know with the, both the blackhawks and and the red wings i mean there were guys everywhere you went who were the dave schultzes of their team and that's it was all started by the philadelphia flyers Listen, I think if nothing else, hopefully this uh, walk down memory lane, hopefully this uh, dynasty by decade presented by DraftKings in conjunction with the Hockey Podcast Network and Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast. Hopefully uh, for those who are listening, whether you're a Flyers fan, whether you're a hockey fan in general, you learned something along the way. Uh, If you were around while these teams were on the ice, first of all, congratulations for figuring out podcasts. That's uh, quite the accomplishment. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. Well, I mean, in Anthony's case, maybe it's a little bit impressive. Um, But they fundamentally changed the game. And when people look back, and and it it is easy, and we mentioned this before, it is easy to write off the time and to kind of use the words Broad Street Bullies as if they're taboo. And in fairness, those words were kind of taboo at the time. And when you think about like what the Philadelphia Flyers are now or what other modern teams try not to be, they probably look towards the Broad Street Bullies. But the fact remains that this was the only decade in which the Philadelphia Flyers won a Stanley Cup. Not only won one, they won two. And they appeared in three straight. And they appeared in four of ten in the decade, in the 70s. The Flyers have never been able to capture that same magic. They have gotten back to the Stanley Cup multiple times. They have not gotten the job done. And now it remains to be seen here in the 2020s if they'll be able to get themselves there and get over the hump and break a very long streak without a Stanley Cup. We want to thank everybody for listening, for checking in on this Dynasty by Decade episode, this special episode. I know we covered this in the very beginning of the episode, but of course, that's Anthony Sanfilippo, a 20-plus year veteran of the Flyers beat. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram at AntSanPhilly. I'm just his lovely sidekick. I'm I'm really just the looks that go with the uh, the brains over there. Russ Joy at Joy on Broad. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram. You can find our show Snow the Goalie. We uh, we had our affiliation with the Hockey Podcast Network in the 2019-2020 season. I think there's a good chance that you might hear from us again in the 2021-2022 season. But in the meantime, we have plenty of things that we're going to be working on going forward through the off season. At, would love to point people back to the fact that in the archives, we did some of our best work last summer when we were gearing up for the quarantine season, the season to start outside of the bubble. We had some of our most entertaining guests, including Hockey Hall of Famer Chris Pronger, among many, many others. We'd encourage you to go back to find the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and to listen to some of those episodes. And of course, follow us as we go on through the uh the off season and into the upcoming season. 
We're available over on, uh, you can follow us on facebook.com slash snow, the goalie, Twitter and Instagram at snow, the goalie. We thank you for listening. Make sure you go out and you check out DraftKings. Anthony and I, for the heck of it, you know, he and I have uh, started to venture into writing more and more about sports betting over crossingbroad.com, which is where you can read anything that we put out uh, hockey related. And then, well, Flyers aren't playing right now. So we're writing plenty of sports betting content. So you can always go check us out there. We love DraftKings. Great people. Great product. Big thank you once again to the Hockey Podcast Network for having us here. Anthony, any final parting words before we wrap up this episode? No. Uh, God bless America. We didn't even mention that. I have to say, do we see this really quickly? Uh, to go back, and if you watch, if you watch the uh, um, the HBO documentary on the Broad Street Bullies, and you hear about how the uh, how Lou Scheinfeld went out and, and got Kate Smith to come in and to do God Bless America in place of the Star Spangled Banner, and how that was such a radical move at the time, and about the thirty odd wins, and what was it, thirty two six and one? I don't even think it was six. I mean, it's six 30, 30, the it was maybe thirty-six two and had, one or something yeah, like they that. Had, they only had two losses when she sang. So it was like thirty-six two and one when uh, when she sang "God Bless America," and then of course that was a uh, you know a, that was a, a big part of the Flyers culture. And then, um, well, Kate Smith, uh, you won't hear her in the uh, Wells Fargo Center as long as Comcast Spectacore still owns the team. And you can't find where is the statue now? Do we know? It's in a warehouse. It's hidden somewhere. No one will ever say where it's at. Is this like Hitler's bunker? Like, we're just never going to know. Kate <laughs> Smith's not Hitler. Like, where, where's Kate Smith? And compared to Hitler by the organization. Um, uh, oh, boy. <laughs> there it is. There's the parting shot on the way out. Uh, no, it's, a, it's hidden somewhere uh, that only like a handful of people know. I'd love to find out, to be honest with you. Maybe, that, maybe that's something I'll start pursuing. Anthony is going to free the Kate Smith statue. Uh, hey, listen, if you ever really want to get Flyers fans uh, riled up, go over onto Facebook, find a Philadelphia Flyers fan page and say, whatever happened to Kate Smith's statue? I guarantee you're going to get plenty of engagement on that question. Anyway, a big, big thank you to Anthony, to the Hockey Podcast Network and to DraftKings. We hope you enjoyed this decade or this dynasty by decade. We will talk to you very soon over on the Snow the Goalie feed. Best of luck. Enjoy the remainder of the hockey season, the off season, and the seasons yet to come. And I hope that your team establishes the very next dynasty. 